Thank you, Doug. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of John. I am preaching through the Gospel of John. And this morning we find ourselves in John chapter 8 and verses 12 through 20. And for those of you who are watching us by live stream this morning, I always want to remind you that uh, if you don't have a Bible or you don't know how to use a Bible, that's okay. Almost every verse that I'm going to share with you is going to be on the screen at one time. Um, so we just encourage you to in, sit back and, and, and enjoy this time. And, but we are looking in the Gospel of John at chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. And this is what we read. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. It said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Well, we come this morning to the second of Jesus' great I Am statements. There are seven of them in the Gospel of John. The first one was found in chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Here he says, I am the light of the world. And these seven great I Am statements found in this Gospel have been precious to the people of God for centuries. And the reason that is so is because Jesus claims in each of them to be the I Am which takes us immediately back to Exodus chapter 3, where God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. And he says to Moses, I am who I am. I am, excuse me, the ever-existent, eternal God. And he said to Moses, when you go to Egypt and you talk to the children of Israel, you tell them, I am has sent you to them. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And our first point this morning is light of the world. When Jesus presents himself as the light of the world, he does so in the temple's treasury, which is important. We're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to start with the last verse. So if you're looking in your Bible this morning, I want you to drop down to the last verse in this passage, and that is the first part of verse 20. Verse 20. It says, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Now that's very important to the context of this whole passage. And that reminds us again that the Bible never wastes words. That the little details of the Bible are always important in our study. So carefully we just don't cruise past some of the details that we see. If we were to go back to the first century in the great temple in Jerusalem, we would know that it, is, it was called the Herodian temple. 
It was called the Herodian Temple because it was built under the jurisdiction of Herod the Great. And if you were to go to the Herodian Temple in Jerusalem in the first century, you would come to a number of great courts, these large open spaces. The first court that you would come to would be the court of the Gentiles. Anyone could come to the court of the Gentiles. The next court that you would come to would be the court of women. In the court of women, only Jewish men and women could go into that court. Now, if you were a proselyte, a fully converted, fully processed proselyte, you could also go in there, but you had to be part of the Jewish community in order to go into the court of women, but it was often teeming with people. Then the next court that you would go to would be the court of the priests. In the court of the priests, only Jewish men could go in there, and they would go there with their sacrifice, their animal sacrifice. They would give it to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice it on their behalf. Jesus is saying these words today in the court of women, because in the court of women was the temple treasury. It is in the court of women that you would come and you would give your offering when you came to the temple. Now, in the court of women, there were 13 receptacles. These receptacles were shaped like trumpets of the day. They started with a large opening and they narrowed down and filtered into boxes at the bottom of each of those. So you would give your coins, you would drop them in these receptacles, and it would come down into a box. The reason there were 13 receptacles is because they each represented a different offering. If you came to the temple and wanted to give money for the poor, you would give it in one receptacle. If you came wanting to give money for the priests and Levites specifically, you would drop it in another receptacle. If you came to give for the maintenance of the temple, you would put it in a different receptacle. But there were these 13 receptacles along the wall in the court of women. This is where in Mark chapter 12, one of the most famous scenes in the New Testament takes place. In the court of women, in the temple treasury, Jesus is with his disciples. And a widow comes. And there are all these rich people who are giving money in the receptacles. But this widow comes and she gives two small coins. And Jesus uses that as an important teaching lesson for his disciples. And he says, you see that woman? She gave more than anyone else because all of those people gave out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty gave everything that she had. In Mark chapter 12, that takes place. In the court of women, it takes place in the temple treasury. Now at this time of year, and if you've been with us, if you haven't, let me explain real quickly. Chapters 7 and into chapter 8 is connected with the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths where they celebrated the Israel's 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That has just ended, but there are probably still all kinds of pilgrims, all kinds of people in Jerusalem at this time. And at this time of the year, there would be candelabras all around the walls of the court of women. Now imagine there are these high walls on each side of the court, but there was no ceiling. And so at night they would light these candelabras and they would burn all night long. And so if you were like a half mile away and it was pitch dark, you could look at the temple in Jerusalem and you would see this great light rising up to the sky. 
It used to be called by the Jews the illumination of the temple because this great light was going up out of the court of women from these candelabras that were like located all around uh, this court. And these candelabras represented in, the, in Israel's 40 years wandering in the wilderness, these candelabras represented the fact that God led his people all throughout their wilderness wandering by a cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire at night. And so that great glow, that great illumination of the temple was to remind them of how God guided their ancestors when they wandered through the wilderness. Folks, that's the context. That's the setting for this whole text. In the court of women, Jesus declares that he is the light of the world. He doesn't say he is a light. He says he is the light. Now, that may seem like a, a small distinction, but it's actually a, a very significant one. You see, there were all kinds of rabbis who could say they were a light. A light who would come to Israel, a light who would come to Judea or to Jerusalem. Even today, there are people of all kinds of religions, teachers who say, I'm a light for this world. But Jesus wasn't claiming to be a light. He was claiming to be the light of the world. Now, it's so interesting in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. If anyone lights a lamp and puts it on, I mean, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that it gives light to everyone in the room in the same way. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. How can he call us the light of the world? Do you know why? Because the light of the world lives in you. The light of the world lives in you. Therefore, you are, or supposed to be, a reflection of the light of the world. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. But here, this claim to be the light of the world is a strong claim to messiahship. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. In the Old Testament, especially in the prophecy of Isaiah, it was prophesied that when Messiah comes, he will be the light. From Isaiah chapter 42 all the way through Isaiah chapter 53, there are these scatterings of pronouncements about the light, how the Messiah will be the light. One example, Isaiah 49 and verse 6. God is speaking. He is speaking about the coming of his servant, the Messiah. He says, God says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Oh, God says when Messiah comes, he will not just raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. No, it will be well beyond that. He will be a light for the nations. My salvation will be proclaimed, will reach to the end of the earth. Don't miss it this morning, folks. It's a great missionary verse. It is when Messiah comes, he won't be just for Israel. He will be for all the nations. He will be for all the people and all the people groups all around the world. Doug quoted from this in his prayer, Psalm 27.1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, if you have been with us throughout the Gospel of John, or you just read through the Gospel of John, we're set up for this right from the very beginning. We are set up for this. We are prepared for this right from the beginning of the Gospel of John. If you remember the great prologue at the beginning of the Gospel of John, right in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Remember that? And then in John chapter 1 and verses 4 through 9, it says this, so important, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, now watch this, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world and Jesus stands up in the temple treasury in the court of women and says I am the light of the world wow now we know that light dispels darkness if this room were pitch dark just pitch dark and someone turned on the lights all of a sudden the light would dispel the darkness and there are so many truths connected to Jesus statement I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the light of truth that dispels the darkness of falsehood and evil. He is the light of wisdom that dispels the darkness of ignorance. He is the light of holiness that dispels the darkness of sin. He is the light of joy that dispels the darkness of sorrow. He is the light of eternal life that dispels the darkness of sin and death. To say, I am the light of the world, is to say, you are God. When he says, I am the light of the world, it is a great claim to Jesus' deity. And then in the second sentence of that verse, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will no longer walk in darkness, in the darkness of sin but we'll have the eternal, everlasting light of life. Great word associations connected to that little phrase, follow me, follow me. It can refer to a soldier following his commander. It can refer to a slave following his master. It can re refer to a person following a wise counselor. It can refer to a student following his teacher in everything that the teacher teaches. But here in this particular context, when Jesus says, whoever follows me, it means to give yourself totally to Christ. Totally. It is to say the Lord is my light and my salvation. It is to say the Lord will be my everlasting light. It is to say, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Whoever receives me as his Lord and Savior will no longer walk in the darkness of sin, but will have the eternal, everlasting light of life. Well, that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is a rejection of the light. When Jesus proclaims himself to be the light of the world, the Pharisees continue in their obstinate unbelief and rejection of Jesus. It's amazing. 
We see this throughout the Gospel of John, but especially in chapters 5 through 8, excuse me, that Jesus makes these amazing statements. And the Pharisees and the other religious leaders react in obstinate, obstinate unbelief and rejection. In verse 13, after that beautiful statement in verse 12, Verse 13, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You're the only one who says this about yourself. You're just talking about yourself. You're some guy that's come along and you're making these claims only about, you're the only one making these claims about yourself. Therefore, your claims are not true. So Jesus says in verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I, came, I come from or where I am going. Boy, this has been, boy, if you've been with us, this has been repeated throughout these last few chapters. Jesus says, even if I am the only one who bears testimony about myself, my testimony is true. And here's why the testimony of Jesus is true, because of where he comes from, because of who he is, and because of where he is going because of where he comes from, because of who he is, and because of where he is going. He has said repeatedly, I come from the Father. I have come down from heaven. Remember, he said, I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. Because of who he is, he claims to be Messiah. He claims to be the Savior. He claims to be one with the Father, that he is in complete harmony with the Father. And then he says he will go back to the Father, to be with the Father, because he's the second person of the triune Godhead. So in verse 15, Jesus says to them, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. The problem is you're judging according to the flesh. You're judging according to outward appearance only. I've shared this with you before. The Jewish religious leaders at this time saw everything only, everything only with secular eyes and hardened hearts. And that's how some people see today. They see only, they refuse to see anything else but what their secular eyes and hardened hearts see. And so they judge by outward appearance. They don't care about the heart. They judge by their legalistic ceremonies and rituals and man-made traditions. And Jesus says, I judge no one. Now, Jesus is not saying that he never judges. That would be a contradiction of what he said in chapter 5. In chapter 5, he said, the Father has given all judgment to the Son. We learned back then that it is the Son who is going to be the judge on the great white throne judgment, on the great white throne at that judgment at the end of the book of Revelation, the end of time. So he's not saying I never judge. He is saying here when he says I judge no one, he says I judge no one like you judge them. I do not judge according to the flesh. I see the heart. I see the motives. I see the intentions. I see the real person. I don't judge as you judge. And then we get to the heart of this in verses 16 through 18. He says, Jesus says, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. If I testified about myself, my testimony was, would be true, but I am not the only one. My Father also bears witness of me, which again he has said repeatedly in chapters 5 through 8. He says it's your law. 
And it is, the law of Moses said that everything had to be confirmed by at least two witnesses. He said, I have two witnesses. I have the two most powerful witnesses in the universe. I have the two highest authorities in all of the universe. I have God the Father and God the Son. He said, these two witnesses bear witness of me. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Verse 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. They said, where is your father? Interesting here. It's a real little side note. They say, where is your father? Technically, the word father there should not have a capital F. It should have a small f. Some English translations have the small f there. The ESV, the English Standard Version, which I'm preaching from this morning, has a capital F. But technically, it should probably be a small f. Because where the, what they're saying is, where's your earthly father? Where is he? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my capital F father, my heavenly father. If you knew me you would know my capital F, Heavenly Father, also. You don't know me. You don't need know me because you don't know the Father. This is a stinging indictment against Judaism in the first century. Jesus is saying you don't even know God the Father, who you say is at the heart and soul of your entire religion. You don't know the Father. R.C. Sproul says something very interesting in his commentary on the Gospel of John. He said, all around the world, there are millions, if not billions, of people who claim that they worship God the Father, but totally reject the Son. He says, can't be that way. Can't be that way. If you want the Father, you have to have the Son. It's a package deal. If you say you believe in the Father, you must believe in the Son. If you don't believe in the Son, you don't believe the Father either. You don't believe in the true and living God if you don't believe in his son. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. You know where our kids learn this? In Sunday school and in Awana. This is one of the earliest verses they memorized. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. That is correct. And that's why you cannot have the father unless you also have the son. Well, in verse 20, we've already looked at the first part, but in the last part of verse 20, it says, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now we have seen that phrase already, his hour had not yet come. Actually that phrase, his hour has not yet come, is used seven times in the Gospel of John. And it simply means that God the Father is so protecting God the Son that nothing can happen to him until the Father says it is time, until his hour comes. Right now, they can arrest him because the Father won't let them arrest the Son. Oh, there is coming a time when he will be arrested and he will be mocked and he will be crucified but only when the Father says it's time, only when the hour comes. And right now, his hour had not yet come. I want to go back as we bring this together this morning to verse 12. Jesus says to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want you to think of this with me this morning. The light of the world illuminates every area of your life with his life-giving eternal life. 
It illuminates every area of your life. Now, verse 12 is first and foremost a call to salvation. It really is. If you are walking in the darkness of sin, if you are walking this morning in the hopelessness and the meaninglessness of darkness, oh, we say to you, Come to him who says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of eternal, everlasting life. This is the call that goes out to our community. This is the call that goes out to every nation. This is the call that goes out to every person and every people group all across the earth. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But verse 12, verse 12 is also a promise to the daily life of every Christian. This is what I really want you to think about. Verse 12 is a promise to every one of you about your daily life as a Christian. As we yield daily, to the light of the world, we will know things and see things that only a child of God can know and see. Did you know you know things and you see things that no one else does in this world because you are a child of God? It's a powerful thing. It's an amazing thing. Take sin. You see your sin differently than the world does. The world looks at sin and they think it's no big deal. Sometimes they laugh at it. Or they'll say, oh, I've made mistakes. But they'll say, I'm not as bad as he is. Or I'm not as bad as she is. But not you. You know your sin's a serious thing. It once separated you from God. It separated you from eternal life. You know that even now your sin hinders your walk with Christ and your joy in Christ. You see that when other people don't. You see Jesus completely different than everyone else does. They see him as this great teacher who lived back in the first century, taught some good things, lived a good life. You don't see him just as that. He's your precious Savior. He's everything to you. He is the foundation of your hope, of your eternal life. You see that heaven is real. You see that hell is real. The way you're you approach your marriage is different than the people in the world approach their marriage. The way you raise your kids is different than the world raises their kids. The way you go to work is different than they go to work. You're not just an employee. You're a Christian employee. You see the whole culture around us differently. You look at the world around us and what is going in the world around us and you see something they don't see. You see that God is on the throne. You see that God is sovereignly ruling over all the events of our times and over all the events of history. How come you see all those things? How come you know and see things that everyone else doesn't? It's because the light of the world lives in you. It's because you have the light of the world illuminating your mind, your heart, your emotions, your body, everything about you. As you read scripture and pray, he is illuminating you with his great light. And through the light of the world, we can have incredible moments of clarity. Do you have moments of clarity? I do. They don't come all the time. They don't come every day. 
But every once in a while, I just have these, what I would call moments of clarity, where I see things more vividly. Uh, there are things I know every day that are true, and I know they're intellectually true, but sometimes they just become so real to me. Like maybe I'm reading scripture, praying, just meditating. Maybe someone I know has just passed away recently. And all of a sudden, heaven is so real. It just strikes me, heaven is real. And I'm just overcome with this thought that this life is passing so swiftly. This life is just going whoosh. doesn't matter how old you are. This life is passing by faster than we will ever comprehend. And sometimes, sometimes the light of the world helps me to see. He helps me to see that so vividly. Sometimes when I'm reading and praying, just meditating, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, spiritual warfare just becomes so real to me. Maybe it's something I'm going through. Maybe I'm having a dark night of the soul. But all of a sudden, I just realize spiritual warfare is not just a concept. It is a reality that I live in every single day. We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Have you ever been in a place in your life where it is so real you can almost touch it? Have you been there? It's almost like you can see it and taste it because you are in the midst of great spiritual warfare and the light of the world has shown you this is true. One last example. And I have seen this numerous times. It is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing over my time here in ministry. I will be working with a person who is struggling with some deep sin in their life. Maybe they're going through a really, I mean, not just an ordinary, but deep marital struggle. Or maybe there's some besetting sin in their life that they're really struggling with and they can't seem to break the bondage. And so they seek godly counsel. And they give themselves to really studying scripture about this. And they cry out. I mean, they cry out to the Lord. And all of a sudden, one day, a light goes off. You know, we, we use that term a lot. Oh, the light went off. Well, if you're a Christian, it's not just a light, it's the light. It's the light of the world. It's the light of the world that goes off. And that person, you can see it, that person, the light goes off. And that person realizes the problem. The problem is me. The problem's not my spouse. The problem's not other people. I'm going to stop blaming people. I'm going to stop making excuses. And I'm going to own this. This is my problem. And they give themselves to confession and repentance and to accountability. Folks, it's a beautiful thing. Why do they see that? Why do they all of a sudden see that so clearly? It's because the light of the world is shining in their soul, in their heart, in their life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Oh, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, you may be watching by live stream, you may be here. We invite you, we invite you to come to the light of the world. If you do know him as Savior, I want to encourage you, implore you to yield every single day, to yield your life to the light of the world and let his light be like a floodlight just illuminating your entire being. Let's pray together. Father, Help us. Help us to marvel every day 
that the light of the world is our Lord and Savior. Help us to worship him and yield to him. Oh, Father, as we read scripture, as we pray, as we walk with you day by day, remind us that Jesus is everything and cause us to see all of life, all of life with the light of the world, with the light that he provides. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.